Season 22 begins with two of the weirdest stories I think we've ever covered. And while I may say that often on the show, these ones are weird. These ones are absolutely bizarre. First off, when a young girl's dog dies, she's in a state of mourning over her fine, furry friend. But little does she know her sadness is about to turn into absolute terror. And then... To lighten the mood, we're going to take a look at the story of a father who lost both of his sons to a drunk driver. But while in deep mourning, you're like, Jason, this is not a happy episode to start with. But while this father is lost in a world of sorrow and deep, deep mourning, this father is about to find himself thrust into a world not just where the afterlife exists, but so does the Easter Bunny. Today on Dead Rabbit Radio. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Dead Rabbit Radio. I'm your host Jason Carpenter. I'm having a great day. I hope you guys are having a great day too. I hope you guys had as relaxing as a break that I did. <laughs> no, Chase and I actually did stuff during my break. I didn't play Minecraft and Project Zomboy for the past two weeks. Well, hope you guys had fun and we're back not only is this season 22 can you guys believe that not only is it season 22 this week marks the five-year anniversary of dead rabbit radio awesome 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 who would have ever thought we would have made it five years who would have ever thought we would have made it five weeks but the show keeps going you guys keep tuning in Really makes it all worth it. Really, really enjoy it. Tomorrow, we're going to have a really cool five-year anniversary-themed episode. And, unfortunately, for you know scheduling purposes, I'm not able to do it this week. That would have been fitting. But next Friday, June 23rd, tune in to YouTube where we're going to have a five-year anniversary live stream starting at 6 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, June 23rd. On YouTube, 6 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, tune in and we will all hang out and celebrate the show that we have built together that's been going strong for five years. But someone who's always strong, whether it's five years or five minutes, walking into Dead Rabbit Command, everyone give it up for our newest Patreon supporter, Location AJ. Woohoo! Yeah! Wee! Yeah! Location AJ walking on into Dead Rabbit Command, doing a little dance, doing a little shimmy, uh, dancing on in. Location AJ, you're going to be our captain, our pilot this episode. If you guys can't support the show financially, I totally understand. Just help spread the word about Dead Rabbit Radio. That helps out so much. If you do join the Patreon, you get episodes of Dead Rabbit Radio ad-free, as well as access to the Patreon Discord and the Patreon monthly movie night. So there are some cool benefits. But if you can't do it, I totally understand. And that live stream on June 23rd will be for everybody. That is live stream we're putting up on YouTube, so please join us 6 p.m. June 23rd. Location AJ, let's go ahead and toss you the, let's get it out of the garage, toss you the keys to the classic. Jason Jalopy, we're leaving behind Dead Rabbit Command. Drive us all the way out to a little girl's backyard. Nice, leisurely drive all the way out to this little girl's backyard. We don't have an exact location. We don't have an exact name. We're going to call this young woman Becca. But we're standing in this girl's backyard. We're kind of hiding in the bushes, right? We crouch down. Hope you have good knees. 
because we're crouched for I brought a chair, I brought a lawn chair, I'm all chilling out, I'm all relaxing, being super noisy. But you guys have to be stealthy and crouched down. You guys gotta hurt your knees. You gotta hurt your knees for this story. Because we're hiding in the bushes and we see a family in this backyard. We're gonna see this seven-year-old girl, around seven years old. Her name's Becca. And then her dad and her mom are there. And the dad has a shovel in one hand. And there's a pile of dirt in front of the three of them. And the dad goes, our beloved dog, Rover. They didn't actually give his name, but we'll just call him Rover. You were a family friend to all of us. You got us the newspaper. And you chewed up my slippers that one day, right before I had that big meeting to finally handle the Johnson account. You got into all sorts of hijinks, Rover. We loved you. But you died. And there you will lay for eternity. But long story short, dog died, buried it in the backyard. Family friend now gone on to heaven, where all dogs go. Well, the very next day after this very solemn funeral, and Becca is out on the swing set in the backyard. So she's like swinging by Rover's grave. I hopefully, I don't know if it was like, I don't know if they buried the dog right underneath the swing set, right at the bottom of the slide. Becca's all, wee, And he keeps landing and rolling in the fresh dirt. Maybe he was buried off in the corner of the room or corner of the backyard. That's where I put him. But Becky is swinging on the swing and she's looking over at, Rover had a pretty big doghouse that was built for him. She's swinging on the swing and she's looking over at Rover's doghouse and she sees something moving around inside Rover's house. And she goes, I figured it was like a raccoon or a possum kind of rummaging around, which would make sense, right? I'm sure that all of the scavengers in the area smelled Rover all the time. And they're like, don't go over there. There's a dog. He'll eat us. But then when the dog died, they probably go, well, I still smell a dog, but not as clearly as I used to. I smell like dirt and then dog. So maybe they buried the dog. The, the, raccoon, the raccoon figures this out. He has a little chalkboard in his treehouse. He's like, hmm, maybe the dog's dead. So it would make sense that a scavenger type creature like a raccoon or a possum would think it was safe to start walking around in the backyard. It brought daylight, too. This is not at night. Walk around in the backyard and start digging through his stuff in the doghouse. Well, she thought she saw a possum or a raccoon. It wasn't definitely that. She hops off the swing and she starts walking towards the doghouse to see what is in there. And she goes, as I got closer to the doghouse, I'm looking now at Rover's water bowl. And sitting on the rim of Rover's bowl, water bowl, I see a dog's jawbone. And then sitting on the jawbone, I saw Rover's eyeballs. Well, Becca realizes, not a possum, she would have hoped it was a rabid raccoon, maybe. Coming straight at her. No, she's looking at the jawbone and cl very clearly Rover's eyeballs sitting on this jawbone, this dog's jawbone balanced on this water bowl. She runs inside. Like that's the that's the end of your Nancy Drewing. You're done. Totally terrifying. She runs inside and she goes, Mom, Mom, there's a horrible, horrible thing in the backyard. I saw Rover's jawbone and his eyeballs. 
And uh, I don't know how to to finish that sentence. I mean, there's really no way to uh, clarify what I just said. So the mom runs outside with Becca out to the doghouse. And when they get out there, the jawbone and both eyeballs are gone. And Becca said that her bedroom, her bedroom window actually overlooked the backyard. And for weeks after that event, she refused to sleep in her bedroom because she was afraid that at any given point, she's like walking in her bedroom to get some socks or walking in her bedroom to put her socks away. She walks in and she would be afraid that she'd walk in her bedroom, look out the window and see the jawbone and the eyeballs. <laughs> really anywhere. I mean, whether or not it's like floating around or just like sitting on the lawn, she didn't want to see it anywhere. Whether or not it was extra spooky or just grossly spooky. She said it took her weeks to sleep in her bedroom again. You know, so this is a weird story because there's a couple different ways you can look at it. One, you could figure that there's a total normal, like reasonable explanation for this story. And that would be that she did see something moving around in the dog house. Maybe it was a possum or raccoon. That had dug up the remains of this dog. Remember, the dog was only buried the day before, though. So unless, like, he died a skeleton, the jawbone of the dog would still be all encased in flesh and fur and muscle. It's possible, though, you could figure maybe, like, a scavenger broke the jaw off and said, Ah, yes, the tastiest part of a dog. And while you were taking the dog's jawbone, you're like, and while I'm here, and you pop his eyeballs out. And then the scavenger runs into the doghouse. I mean, that's the skeptical answer. But that doesn't even make sense because you figure if a raccoon or a possum, first off, if a raccoon or a possum was able to dig into this grave without the soil being disturbed, because she didn't go, I saw a raccoon-shaped hole leading into the grave and then saw this. You figure that you would eat the eyeballs first. <laughs> You're like, oh, yes, it took all my energy to get into this grave, and now more energy is needed to get out, and then you eat the eyeballs for some extra protein. They wouldn't, what I'm saying is that, listen, it's a skeptical answer. This was a scavenger who left, who <laughs> put it in the spookiest place possible, right? Balanced these eyeballs on the jawbone. The skeptical answer, it was some sort of scavenger, but you figure it would have eaten the eyeballs. It wouldn't have balanced them anywhere. It would have balanced them in their stomach for its own balanced diet. You would just eat the eyeballs, and then... I probably would have stayed in the grave and ate the whole dog. If I was a raccoon and I dug my way into a dog's grave, I would just chill there for a while and just eat the whole dog. And then climb out eventually like after a couple days like you could be down there it's nice and cool in the grave and there's lots of dog to eat you don't really need you need water he's a water bowl you just take out a night drink out of his water bowl you've become the dog so but anyways that's skeptical answer that's skeptical answer the paranormal answer it's interesting because becca online she goes by the name beneficial fun 3318 she goes later in life i talked to someone who claimed they had like connection to the spirit world I told them this story, and the medium said, oh, I think that was Rover's way of telling you. He's keeping an eye on you. He's going to protect you, even though he's passed on. Don't worry about getting in trouble. Good old Rover's always by your side. And Becca goes, that sounds ridiculous. That sounds as dumb as Jason's skeptical answer. 
And that's fair. Because I think if a spirit was going to say, I'm still by your side, Becca, you would do it in the least you would do it in the least gross way possible. If your grandma died, she got ran over by a bulldozer and all of her insights came spurting out of the top of her head. I don't think she would appear to you the day before your wedding to give you her blessing with <laughs> brains shooting out all of her veins coming out of the top of her head. She would show up as the kindly old grandma you always remembered. She wouldn't be this ghastly vision. So I would imagine that the medium's wrong too. This wasn't the dog going, oh, my friend Becca's an idiot. Unless I actually show my eyeballs, she won't know I'm keeping an eye on her. My theory is this, and it's it's just a theory, right? I, I don't know. Um, I think that whatever it was was manifesting. It, <laughs> why it chose to again manifest in a disgusting way, I don't know. Why it chose to manifest the jawbone and the eyeballs first, I don't know. You figure the first thing you'd want to manifest is a tail, like just kind of wagging there in midair. And they're like, what? Rover, you're still here with us. And you hear like, Rover. I probably would just I probably would just manifest the barking, honestly. It's possible this dog was trying to take some sort of physical form. It's also possible that there was some darker forces going on here. Like, I would not see this as... I just came up with this. I didn't think about this before. Probably should have used this one instead of my dog manifesting eyeballs um, slowly becoming uh, corporeal again. I'm wondering if there was something darker in that area... And it was taunting Becca with Rover's death. That actually makes the most sense out of all of them. Because it is so grotesque. What was moving in the house? Like something drew her attention. It's the same thing. Like if you want, if you're like a pervert flasher on the street and you have like the closed trench coat and then you flash people, you go, look at me, I'm naked. You need to get their attention first. You would like probably shout really loud or like honk your horn and people look over and then you jump out and you're naked. I doesn't really make sense if you just jump out naked. <laughs> I guess that would be shocking. I guess they're both equally shocking. But you know what I mean? Like something drew her attention over there to see this grotesque vision. Had she not seen the movement in the house to begin with, she never would have looked over there. So I wonder if there was something darker here. But really, we don't have any other encounters with this 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 phantom dog or these eyeballs or the jawbone she says i never saw any of that again never saw anything like that again so who knows what it was it happened a while ago we don't know how old she is now but i'm assuming she's not eight i'm assuming this story took place longer than a year ago but it's an interesting story and it's actually a great segue into our next story, because it deals with two of the things that are big in the next story. One, what in the world is going on? Like the actual phenomenon not making sense. And then two, looking into someone's past, looking into someone's other paranormal experiences to try to make sense of the one we're discussing. And let's get right to it. Location, AJ. Put on your flight suit, your little goggles. We're going to toss you the keys to the world. Famous carpenter copter. We are leaving behind this little girl's bedroom. Fly us all the way out to David's house. We're going to David's house, specifically a man known as David Parker. And back in 1989, he experienced a horrible tragedy. 
David Parker had two sons, a seven-year-old and a nine-year-old boy, who were ran over by a drunk driver and killed. And at that point, David's like, I can't go on. Like, my entire life is over. He made comments in other posts that he's placed online. Because this story really does sprawl. Just when you think the story starts off weird and it gets weirder. He says he's pretty much lost all of his family. So I don't know about the mother of the kids or, like, his mom and dad and stuff like that. But at this point in his life in 1989, from what I can gather based on all of these posts that I read... David Parker is alone in the world. Well, alone with family connections. Luckily, he has friends because he said, after my kids died, I uh, took a leave of absence from my job. I was a registered nurse and I said, I can't work here anymore. I'm going to take a leave of absence. That would be hard to, you know, that's interesting. That would be hard to be a nurse. And if your kids died... And then some kid comes into your hospital and he's like, uh, uh, and he's like super sick and he's dying. And then you save that kid. Everyone's like, woohoo, yeah, this kid's alive. Yay, we. And you would probably be sad. <laughs> You're like, oh, man. you listen, I'm not trying to make light of it. But you, I think it would be upsetting to me if I lost the kid due to a drunk driver. And then I'm working at a hospital and another kid comes in and he got hit by a drunk driver. And that kid lived. I would be like, why not my kid? Why did my kid die and that kid live? And you have to do that eight eight hours a day. It would be horrifying. Now, you could also argue that it would be edifying because, you know, you're saving lives. But I also wonder if there would be a little bit of... David David never said any of this. I'm just curious. Would there be a little bit of bitterness there? I think it would be the same thing if you were a marriage counselor who went through a bitter divorce. And then you're like, well, time to go to work. (laughs) Time to go to work. My wife is a horrible person and she left me. She took all my money. Time to earn more money. And then you go in and people are like, you know what? You helped us with all of our problems. We're going to stay married forever. You're like, anyways, David had said none of that. David just said, I put in a, for a leave of absence at work. I went home, painted all of my windows black. I don't want any light coming into my house. And I just kind of sat there and existed in the darkness. True true mourning, right? True sorrow. He's going through and he goes, the only way that I really stayed, stayed alive was the um, support of my friends. He goes, they brought me food and they did shopping for me. And uh, he, I ate a lot of pizzas, he said. He ordered a lot of pizzas. And he's living off this stuff and he's deeply, deeply in mourning over the death of his two children. And this goes on for around a year. And he goes, I was laying there on my couch watching television. And all of a sudden, in the corner of the room, I see these sparkling lights. Got my attention, obviously. I sat up. I'm staring at these sparkling lights, trying to figure out what in the world could be causing that phenomenon. When he suddenly heard... Two voices began to speak to him. He said both of these voices sounded like they came from men in their late 20s. And he almost immediately realizes that what he's hearing is the voices of his sons, 
both of his children from the other side. And his boys begin to talk to him, and they begin to deliver this message from the afterlife. But it is not an uplifting message. It's not a message of hope or perseverance. It's not a message to find some sort of peace. It is a message that David needs to move on with his life, but it's delivered in such a way that David said the tone was similar to when a cop pulls you over and he's lecturing you about the rules of the road. Or the tone of voice when you're pulled into an HR meeting and you're being berated about poor job performance. And he actually has a quote here. He said this is partly what they were saying. I wanted to read this. It's super interesting. It's not what we would expect the tone or the message to be with someone coming back from the other side. But I wanted to read this to you. He said that his sons delivered him this message. Quote, you have been holding us back from very important business we must attend to. We cannot do the work we need to do that is so very important as you are constantly holding us back. We cannot allow this to continue. You have to let go of us so we can move into our jobs and do the work we are supposed to be doing. Your constant attachment and holding on has stifled our ability to work. And what we need to do is so very important. You just have to let go and let us move on. You are in the way of the great work we are assigned to do. He said out of everything they said to him, the only thing that was nice, that he took as nice, was when they told him, quote, We appreciate what you did for us, but now you just have to let us go, unquote. And then the voices stopped. The sparkling light vanished. And once again, David was sitting alone in his house. He said he got up off the couch, went and took a shower, went out to his car, car didn't start because it had been sitting there for a year. He had to get a neighbor to give him a jump. Get the battery jumped. Drives to his work to reapply for his job. And he said he ended up getting his job back and not only that, with his nurse training, he begins to specialize in hospice care. So he was working with people who were dying and working with the friends and family of the people who were dying and said, I used my experience to help those cross to the other side because now I knew there was life after death. And not only life after death, but my children were continuing to grow. Like these were not the voices of children. These were the voices of adults. I was able to use my very unique, some would call one of a kind, I've never come across anything like this. We've covered a few, more than a few, life after death stories. I, I, you know, they, it's a different subset than just a, a standard ghost story. But 
Um, I love these type of stories. They do seem to hit a certain mold. This is definitely a one of a kind. But he's able to use this experience to help others who are passing on. And says that he did, he was a registered nurse, then he specialized in hospice care, and then towards the last five years of his career, he did nothing but hospice care. And was a pediatric hospice nurse as well, so worked with children who were dying. Now, I read this story, and I go, wow, what an awesome way. I know it sounds heartless, so you're like, Jason Kids died in the story. You're like, ka-ching. I'm not saying that. Like, in a perfect world, I would hope that there were no ghost stories because nobody ever died. But I read this story, and I go, wow, that would be a great way to start off season 22. Five-year anniversary of Dead Rap Radio. I've never come across either the eyeballs on the jawbone. I was like, that's definitely making it. That's so bizarre. This one, I go, once in a lifetime, I've never come across a ghost story where not only do we have the ghost aging up, that's a very interesting thing, but them berating him. And what is this great work they're supposed to be doing? Why would it be if he was mourning them that they weren't able to do what they needed to do? In the afterlife, they're like, can we go to work yet, boss? Can we do that great thing? And God's like, no, not yet. Your dad's still sad. They're like, oh, man, why did dad love us so much? What was the great work? Why would mourning somebody prevent them from doing the thing they have to do? And again, we don't know what that is. Very fascinating story. So like I always do, when I can, I try to find out what other things this person has posted. So David Parker, I I found out who he was, his real name was. In a very roundabout way. Online, he goes by the name Tuza Who. And I started looking through Tuza Who's posting history. And a lot of his recent posts were this story. And that's pretty normal. Someone's telling a story for the first time. They'll post it in a bunch of different places online. Because they're probably talking about it for the first time. I see that happen a lot. And they're trying to get they make sense of what's going on. I'm reading all of these different posts that David is Placing. At this point, I don't know his real name. And I find one in a subreddit called Mantis Encounters. There's a whole subreddit dedicated to people who run into bug aliens. And he says, Yeah, a long time ago, I was out in a desert. I was eating pistachio nuts, sitting in my truck. And it was a full moon. The desert was brightly lit. And I always liked going out here just, you know, for peace. Very, very beautiful area to be in. Meeting pistachios. And all of a sudden, I see this eight-foot-tall, whatever, alien, mantis, humanoid. Don't really know how to describe it. He was walking by my truck. And I could see him almost clearly because the moon was so illuminating. He was wearing like this this mask type of thing that kind of hung down almost like an elephant's trunk. And he, he walked by my uh, truck and it terrified me. And he was like trying to think, can I lock the door in time? Will this thing come after me? And it just kind of walked by. And then later on, I don't know if this happened the same because that happened at night an hour in the daytime I don't know if he came back late I think he came back a couple days later if I remember the narrative because some of you guys might remember this story now he drives out this took place in Arizona he drives out to this area and he hears construction vehicles underneath the desert 
as if in that same area where he saw this creature as if they're doing some sort of massive underground construction and then these white pickup trucks with completely shaded out windows tinted windows begin chasing him through the desert and then down the highway and finally he loses them and goes home and i read that and i'm like i covered that story I covered that story months ago. It was called It Came From the Desert. And I didn't know what the guy's name was. I got that story off of Phantoms and Monsters. And Phantom, Lon Strickler does this a lot. He just gives like an initial for names. He got it, apparently, from a podcast interview that who I found out. This guy's name is David Parker. He did a podcast interview on a YouTube channel. I'll have all this in the show notes where he told that story. And I go, wait a second. So now we have two. We have one guy, one witness. His real name is David Parker. And he's the one who linked. I'm not doxing him. He actually said, hey, here's all the podcasts I was on. We have two stories that are pretty one of a kind. And this is kind of the kind of the thing when we're involved in paranormal research, right? Is there is you have to have a healthy dose of skepticism. For multiple reasons. On the one hand, you can seem like a fool if you believe everything. On the other, you know, the thing is, too, is like some of these stories. The story about him, I I don't know what's true and what's not. It is weird when someone has two once-in-a-lifetime stories happen to them that are, are fairly dramatic. I say that. But I've had this. It's funny because, of course, I have a bias. Listen, the stories that happen to me, I 100% know are true. And I mean, you could go, Jason, you have stories that see, I think I think the stories that I kind of went through are fairly mundane. You can involve, you know, Jason, people demonically possess clowns and phantom snakes from other dimensions. It's not really normal paranormal stuff. But I mean, like at a certain point, you go. He got chased by the government and got away. He has a a once-in-a-lifetime, once-in-really, like, paranormal lore-type life-after-death story where there's this great mission that's going on. Does it necessarily mean that one or both stories are not true? And, And on the one hand, when I covered the story about the it came from the desert i remember i remember in i remember in my head when i was telling that story when i was talking about him driving away from the government i was thinking in my head if this story was real they would have caught him there's an old saying we had in sacramento and i'm sure it is all over the world not just sacramento but you can't outrun a radio the second the police had your license plate you were done it was actually your car and your license plate. And you didn't steal a plate or you didn't steal a car. You were done because you can't outrun a radio. Once they're able to radio in your plate, they're going to find you. It might take them two or three days, but they're going to find you. So that was the thing. I remember as I was telling that story, I was thinking, you can't outrun a radio. But I didn't really voice. And again, listen. I don't know if that story was true, but I remember in my head having that thought. Then why didn't they catch him? If they were really so much in pursuit of him in the area, would they just let him go away? Or if they really thought he had stumbled upon some secret in the desert, which he's now revealing to the world, he's telling people that he was out there. 
would they have not have snatched him up? I don't know. Listen, and here's the thing. When I read, when I saw that he, we had already covered him, I didn't know his name. He just happened to post it. I was like, it did kind of make me go, is either story true? Are both of them true? I don't know. And that's really what it comes down to. A lot of stuff we cover on this show, but again, we're not, we're not even done yet. I got still got to wrap it up. You're like, where's the Easter money? It's coming up. But when I saw that, I go, is it possible that he's making this stuff up? Just something you got to think about. And like I said, on the one hand, you got to think about it so you're not a fool. On the other hand, sometimes these stories, they may be uplifting or they may make you look at the world differently. But if it's not real, is it harmful? Like if you read that first story and you had lost somebody and you thought that's so beautiful, like knowing that my children are growing in the afterlife and maybe they have these great tasks ahead of them and maybe someday they'll talk to me. But for right now, it's time for me to just move on and I'm going to let them go, but I'm going to hold on to their memory and I'm going to move on with my life. So they can do this great work that I'm sure God has planned for them. Is it, if that story is fake, is there a level of cruelty involved in making it up? You know what I mean? Like, that's what I'm saying. Again, I don't know if it's fake. Because I've actually listened to him. I was watching the podcast interview where he was talking about the Mantis, because now I, now I, when Lon Strickler talked about it, he just used the initial D. And now that I knew his name was David Parker, I was able to watch. He does seem, I mean, again, it's hard to tell, but he does, he seems that he believes that these stories are real. But we got one more. And again, this is when I go, oh, I mean, okay, let's just get into it. Because this story, I, I don't even, if, if three different people told these stories, I would probably give them more credence, honestly. I'm putting all my cards on the table because it's not the phenomenon itself that's weird. It's that it's all happening to the same person. But that is just my thing. So let's look at this last story. Location AJ fired that carpenter copter up once more. We're leaving behind David Parker's house. Take us all the way out to Southern Ohio. As I'm continuing to look into David Parker's posting history, he posts mostly that I can see in three subreddits. A subreddit dedicated to comic books. David Parker apparently has all these classic Marvel comic books. He's like, what's the condition of this comic book? It's all tore up. There, here's the thing. I love comic books. I, the, 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 the cover could be missing. It still has value to me. But he keeps holding up pictures of his comic books going, how much? No, he doesn't say that. He keeps holding up pictures of comic books being like, what condition is this in? He posts a lot on a canning subreddit, which is dedicated to just putting stuff in cans. Probably food. But maybe coins. I don't know. It looked boring. But then he also posts a lot in Mantis Encounters. And I saw one of his posts and he goes, I've had a Mantis Encounter on a camping trip, which I'm assuming is the pistachio story that we read earlier. And a near abduction by what looked like a stuffed Easter bunny. I was like, okay, <laughs> we gotta find this story. We gotta find this story. So I started digging more through his posting history. Back in the 1940s, this is what David says, back in the 1940s when he was around five years old at his grandma's house, grandma's property, like a farm out in southern Ohio, 
Because the guy's in his 60s. Um, in the backyard of his grandma's farm, one day he's sitting out there on the porch, and all of a sudden all the chickens run away. They all run and scatter in various directions. Some of them run underneath the house, and David's like, well, golly, where'd them chickens go? And he thought it was weird, because he goes, listen, I've seen those chickens attack dogs. <laughs> Dog came on the property. These chickens, the descendants of dinosaurs, would attack him. He goes, I watched these chickens attack snakes. So the fact that they all scattered and got scared away, he didn't know exactly what was going on, but it alarmed him as well. And that is when the Easter Bunny showed up. David said that this three-foot-tall Easter Bunny walked around the side of his grandma's house and began walking towards him. And he said the way that it moved was as if there was some, you know, if you picked up a stuffed animal, three feet, three feet is a pretty big stuffed animal, but he goes, imagine if you picked up a stuffed animal and you wanted to make it walk. You know how you kind of wobble it from side to side? You're like, here comes the Easter Bunny looking for you. And your kid's like, ah, you know, you go side to side with the Easter Bunny. He goes, that's how it moved. He goes, it looked like there was an invisible person holding a giant stuffed Easter Bunny tall, three feet tall, making it walk from side to side, shifting its weight from foot to foot as if there was an adult walking it towards me. He goes, it was kind of waddling towards me. And he says it had a white tummy. It was like a little white stuffed animal with button eyes. And he goes, it looked dirty. It looked like a dirty old Easter Bunny doll. It looked worn. He didn't necessarily say it was covered in mud, but it looked worn. It looked used. And he goes, and this Easter Bunny doll waddled towards me, and then I began to hear the Easter Bunny's voice in my head. It wasn't moving its mouth, because that, that would be ridiculous. It was uh, beaming the message into my head, and the Easter Bunny was saying, Hey, come with me. Let's play. Come on. Wee! Let's go! Come over here, little man! Let's play! And David goes, Rationally, I probably, I probably would have went with the Easter Bunny. Had it happened in any context when this bunny walks over to you and you're a little boy, he goes, I probably would have went with him. He goes, the reason why I didn't was because of the chickens. He goes, the chickens were so scared of this thing. They bolted before it even came around the corner. I knew there was something sinister going on here. So I wouldn't go. I wouldn't leave. I didn't want to go on this Easter Bunny adventure. And he says, the doll then kind of backed up and walked back around the house, the side of the house. David gave it a moment or two, and then he crept over there and looked around the side of the house. And now he saw the back of the Easter Bunny. The entire time, he's just seen it from the front. And he said even when it backed up, it was like an invisible hand was holding it, like making it move. He goes, now I'm looking around the house, and I see the back of the Easter Bunny. And sticking out... <laughs> This is great. This is fantastic. 
<laughs> Absolutely fantastic. It makes zero sense. I love it. Is it true? <sighs> so anyways, he, who knows? That's the thing with this type of show. We don't know. We have been able to prove certain things have been false. There have been things we don't know. There's been things that we highly think are false. Again, if all three of these stories came from three different people, honestly, I personally would lend more credence to them. But it's just a lot of bizarreness for one person. Um, He looks around the corner and he sees the back of the Easter Bunny and sticking out of the Easter Bunny. So imagine if you had a giant three-foot doll Easter Bunny Sticking out of the back of it, almost like it was wearing it, almost like it had stuck its head into the Easter Bunny to pretend to be the Easter Bunny. Sticking out of the back of the Easter Bunny was a dinosaur. He said it looked like a four-legged, spiky, brontosaurus-type dinosaur. But its head was stuck inside the back of the bunny... And it was walking like a little dinosaur walk from behind. It was just walking like a normal dinosaur. In front, it looked like just a bunny. But he goes, that was weird. (laughs) The whole thing's weird. But he goes, the dinosaur who was wearing the Easter Bunny outfit was only about two to two and a half feet tall, but was fatter than the Easter Bunny. So his body actually protruded. It was wider than the stuffed animal. So from the back, you could see this fat brontosaurus body with spikes sticking off of it. But from in front, you only saw the Easter Bunny. You didn't see the sides of the dinosaur sticking. I mean, I don't know. I mean, this is so bizarre. This is so bizarre. And he goes, I looked over at this. I saw there was a dinosaur who had cut a hole in the back of a stuffed animal and stuck his head through it and was pretending to be the Easter Bunny. And I ran in and told my grandma, hey, (laughs) just come out, just come out. You're not going to believe what's out there. I'm not even going to waste time telling you. He actually does. He goes, grandma, there's a dinosaur out there wearing the Easter Bunny stuffed animal. And the grandma runs out there with him. She's like, the Easter Bunny? Oh, that's awesome. I want some chocolate eggs. She runs out there with her grandson, but the Easter Bunny and the dinosaur are nowhere to be found. The grandma kind of searches the area, and then she comes back and she goes, if you ever see anything like that again, Don't go with it. So it's like, did she have experience? He goes, my grandma was born in 1889. She was an old, old, uh, old world grandma. Right. And I do think there was a time in America where there were more cryptids and creatures. I think every country in the world, every culture in the world has had a time where they have been more attuned to the mystical and then it slowly becomes replaced by the world of rational science. I have a story coming up like that later in this week that's a really interesting look at that as well, and you kind of lose that connection. She she expected to see it again, to make that warning. She could have said, oh, it could have just been your imagination. She's like, no, if it comes back or anything like it, don't go with it anywhere. So had she heard a story, had she known someone who had been snatched away in the region, or who knows? Is the story real? It's just such a bizarre combination of events. 
East, the same guy who sees the Easter Bunny gets pursued by the government and had this one-of-a-kind life-after-death experience. And, and I don't know. And again, I'm putting all my personal biases on the table. Like, I do believe in a lot of this stuff. I don't believe in all of it. I don't think you can believe in all of it because then you're just gullible. And that's when you start to get to the world of flat earth and, and everything like that. But it's so weird. You could go, Jason, maybe this is just an old man telling stories and he's getting on all these podcasts and he's getting this attention. Like, where's the harm in that? And, you know, yeah, I mean, it it's not good for the world of paranormal research. It doesn't cause any true harm. I guess it could probably lead some paranormal researchers down a path that's just not true. There's an author in UK called Tom Sleman. Sleeman? Um, it's, he, if I ever see his name pop up in a ghost story, I immediately know it's fake. He's written, I don't know how many books, like 20 books. And every story he tells in these books are one of a kind, ghost stories, murdering people, crazy paranormal events. And the only source ever for these stories are his books. And I see legitimate paranormal websites cover this guy. And I remember I was going to do a cover him once and I started looking in and I was like, these are all, these stories are clearly fake. So I don't think it's good for the world of paranormal research. I mean, it, but I mean, like, is he telling the truth? It's such a bizarre thing. If three different people told me these stories, I would take them more seriously because of while I believe the phenomenons themselves, Things not appearing the way they should. The the idea of the doll walking in such a weird way. We've covered stuff like that before. Things being viewable from one side that's not viewable from the other. We've covered stuff like that before as well. It's not that the stories themselves don't make sense. It's just odd that what they're all happening to one guy. But that's really at the end of the day, like we're five years into the show. It's all a mystery. It's all a mystery. There are certain things, like I can straight up say Tom Sleeman, Sleeman, whatever, that's a fiction author. He's a fictional author. And I can look at that and go, that's not true. The stories he tells are not true. I don't know what UK uh, libel laws or slander laws are like over there, but he writes fiction. But it's just such an... It's one of the things that I love about this show. It's also one of the things... One of the things I love about the show is finding stories that no one else is talking about and sharing them with you guys. I think that's the key strength of the show. But it also, there's a lot of risk involved in that. There's a lot of risk of covering stories because you're constantly looking for the weirdest ones that no one's talking about. There's a pretty good chance because you're looking for the weirdest ones that they're not true. And it is that risk reward factor. If this guy's lying, telling a fake story about the Easter bunny, telling a fake story about digging underneath the, the Arizona desert, meeting the Mantis man, the government chasing him. And then at the end of the day, it, it's harmful to paranormal research, but it's not truly harmful. It's not the worst thing going to happen. If he's lying about the sun's coming back from beyond that, I think that's psychologically messed up. I think there's a, a different level of harm there, but he could be telling the truth. Too. He could just have these absolutely crazy encounters throughout his life. And now that he's older, he said in one of the interviews, he goes, I'm older and I'm retired now. So now I have more time to go to conferences. So he's speaking at a lot of conferences, which again, like, is he speaking at conferences because he's telling the truth? Is he making these stories up? 
I don't know. I don't know. And sometimes that's the only answer we have is, I don't know if this is true. If I have a gut instinct that's not true, I don't want to cover it because I don't want to waste your time. But these stories I thought were interesting enough, one, because it tied back to a previous episode, but two, if he's telling the truth, it truly is a one-of-a-kind life after death story and you have to ask all these questions what is the great mission when you pass on is it a life of luxury or are you put to work for good things you're put to work to accomplish these great deeds but the people who mourn us deeply deeply mourn us actually prevent us from achieving our full potential in the afterlife it's a very fascinating thought it's a very beautiful thought that not only does life continue after death it flourishes but if the story's made up and he worked as a pediatric hospice nurse, it seems slimy. It seems manipulative. It seems gross. And that's why I wanted to cover it because it's those two sides of that coin. It's not just, is it real or is it fake? Is it, a glimpse into what the next world offers us, or is it a glimpse at manipulating people at their darkest moment for material gain or just for attention? I'm not saying he's doing that. I don't know. This is a very interesting story to kind of analyze the is it real, is it fake thing. I just thought this was a fascinating story, that duality. Is it real? Is it it fake? There's something, whether you're a paranormal researcher or just someone who enjoys hearing paranormal stories, that is a constant question going through our head. But that question won't stop us from continuing the search for answers. Because even though we may get tricked here and there, the world of the paranormal just has so many true life stories. For us to explore. DeadRabbitRadio at gmail.com is going to be our email address. You can also hit us up at facebook.com slash DeadRabbitRadio. TikTok is at DeadRabbitRadio. DeadRabbitRadio is the daily paranormal conspiracy and true crime podcast. You don't have to listen to it every day, but I'm glad you listened to it today. Have a great night.